Good morning, church. We're picking it up in verse 7 of John chapter 14. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the 11 disciples. Judas has already made his exit. The disciples right now are troubled. They're worried. They've heard that Jesus is leaving and that they can't come with him. And now Jesus is, is saying some very important things to them. Uh, we'll actually start reading in verse 6 for some context, and because 6 is a very important verse, you really can't read it too many times. Uh, in verse 6 of John chapter 14, it reads, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, it's possible to uh, read a paragraph or a short section of, of scripture and get sort of a, a tunnel vision without zooming out and reading the, the verses around it, getting some context. And this is one piece in a larger speech. If you have a red letter Bible, you're noticing we are in uh, a sea of red letters here. Um, and so I, I want to I show you a verse from chapter 17 to show you where we're going with all of this and to provide a little bit of context. In chapter 17, this is the same speech. This is the same conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. And he, he closes this, this sermon or, or this, this uh, small group study with a prayer. And in that prayer, in verse 20 of chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, I believe that includes you and I. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Now let's pray. Jesus, we want to understand these things, we want to know these things, but then we also want to experience these things and live by these truths. Uh, Jesus, if you prayed for us that we would be one, and that you would be in us, that we would be in you, that we would have this same unity with you that you even describe here as having. Um, lead us in this truth. Lead us in this, this path, this, this mystery. Lord, we, we pray that your will, which is expressed here in your prayer, we pray thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Let your will for, for us to be unified with you, to be a united church together with each other in love. Let this be the case. Let this uh, come to, to, to being. We're asking it now as one, saying amen as one, studying your word as one, seeking your Holy Spirit to unite our hearts to fear your name. We ask that for your glory. Amen. Amen. Um, now, I wanted to, to show you that passage. You probably saw the connection between the verses we read in 14 and the, the verses we read in 17. There's some just repeated words, uh, but Jesus is explaining to Philip his perfect unity with the Father. That if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Not because Jesus is his own dad, uh, as I say, but because Christ perfectly represents the will and the character of his Father. And that, that's, what, that's what Jesus says is the case in chapter 14. But then he also says that uh, he does the works of the Father. That the works of God, as Jesus does them, these are one way in which the disciples and the world, they see the hand of God. And then Jesus tells the disciples, you're going to do greater works than these. And so we have these two kind of mysteries, really. Um, the, the first is the unity of Father and Son. We see that in verses 7 through 11, that there is a perfect unity uh, between the Father and Son. Even though they are distinct persons, they, they are never in conflict. They are always in sync. And if you've seen what one has done, you've seen what the other has done. And then in verse 12 through 14, we see a hint at what Jesus prays about in chapter 17 that we are also being made one with God. Not that we are becoming a God or anything weird like that. Um, it's not that, that we are rising to his level of glory, but it is that we are coming into a perfect fellowship with him, where we don't act on our own authority, but we act only on his, where we don't do our own will, but we only do his. And then when this when this mystery has been completed, when the Holy Spirit has transformed us into the image of the Son of God, then the world will not only see us, they won't, even, they won't only see you as a good person, or even the church as it ought to be. What they will see is the glory and the majesty and the power of God moving through his people that he has united with himself. Uh, so as you can see, these are some big truths um, you know, we have to understand as we're, we're talking about the unity between two beings or two persons, um, we have to, we have to make sure that we're drawing a line of distinction where it belongs. Otherwise everything just becomes mud. Um, there are things that Jesus is and you are not. Now, I hope that's not a surprise to you. I don't think it will be. Um, but we are not God. Never will be. Uh, we are not infinite. We will always have limits. Uh, we are not eternal. You had a beginning. Even if you're going to live forever in heaven for ages and ages and billions and billions of years uh, until forever, you are still not an eternal being in the, in the truest, most accurate sense of the word because before you were, there was something else. And that can't be said of God. Before all else, He is. Or He would say, I am. You are not the only begotten Son. Um, there's only one only begotten Son. However, you, you will notice that you, you are 
a son or a daughter. That is what the scripture tells us. We are adopted and even born again into the new family. So we're, we're sons and daughters on, but through two different routes. You know, we're adopted and we're born into the family. And, and there's many things that Jesus is that you are, you are called to be as well. He is light. He is the light of the world. But then he tells the disciples, you are the light of the world, the city on a hill. You know, we, we are made children of God. Even though there's only one only begotten son, we are also made children of God. We have been given the right, as John says in chapter 1. We are, we've been given the right to be called children of God. Now, he, Jesus Christ, is perfectly one with the Father. He is one with the Father. And we need, we, uh, while we need to maintain the distinction between what is God and what is not, we still courageously and cautiously step out in faith to believe Jesus, to believe that he meant what he prayed in chapter 17, that we would be one. That even as the Father is in Jesus, making that perfect unity, so Jesus would be with us, making us one, not just with each other, but one with God. When he prayed that we would be one, we have to believe that he meant it, and that he is intending on accomplishing that for which he has asked, that which he has asked for. Um, but first, there's unity between the Father and Son, and that's described for us in uh, starting in verse 7. Or if you really want to um, get to the context again, you know, you look at, at chapter, or verse 6 of chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he kind of explains that um, that verse. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. He says, you know my father. Or if you had known me, you would know my father. Now that if kind of makes you wonder about the tone that Jesus was speaking in. You know, he says, if you had known me. And that seems to indicate that they, they didn't know him that they hadn't known him. And that, that's evident, of course, by um, what Philip says in verse 8. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us, meaning like we don't know God. He's saying we haven't seen him. We don't, we don't understand. We don't know who God is. We haven't seen this vision that we want to have. But, but they, he says, if you had known me, then you would have known the Father also. Did they know him? Did they know Jesus? Well, yes and no. Um, you know, not fully. The, um, the, the now that Jesus says in verse 7, the now on you know him and have seen him. From now on, okay? That now that he's talking about is the hour that had come. This is, the, this is the cross. You look back all the way to chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus says, the hour has come that the Son of Man will be glorified. He says, should I, uh, you know, should I uh, avoid this hour? No, for this purpose the Son of Man has come. And so the, the now, the hour, the, the present tense that Jesus is talking about is not this exact moment in the upper room where they would all get a vision of the heavenlies. He's talking about now, the hour that has come, um, this moment in history where the Son of God would be crucified and then conquer death and be raised again. The, they, um, 
you know, they saw Jesus live and they, they heard him speak and they, they knew that he was special. And at one point, the Holy Spirit even revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But Jesus makes it very clear, you did not come to that conclusion on your own. In fact, it seems very clear that you can't come to that conclusion just on your own. Um, but they saw the perfect life, but they couldn't know the full power and love of God without the cross and the resurrection. Now, they saw Jesus wash feet. And, and you know, that, that action of, of love, of, of humility, is necessary for the gospel to be preached because it is the, it is the tone with which the gospel should be preached. We don't, we don't preach, it, preach the gospel with swords in our hands, necessarily. We preach it you know, with a towel around our waist, waist, wanting to serve and love the unlovable. But the gospel itself is not wash feet. It's not. And if you, if you wanted to get to the bottom of the question, who is Jesus, you would have to go beyond the answer of, he is the servant. He, well, he's more than that, isn't he? He better be more than that. And so while they did know Jesus to some extent, they didn't know the fullness of the power and the love of God that would be displayed with such vivid clarity on the cross and the empty tomb. They could know him uh, without knowing his purpose. And then, what, um, and then their knowledge would be limited. They couldn't know him fully without understanding not only you know, what he looked like and what he sounded like, but what is he here for? You know, it's very much like Peter. Um, on that same time when Peter encountered Jesus and said, I know who you are, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit. Um, but later on, Jesus tells them about the cross and about the, the passion of the Christ. And Peter says, no, Lord. Now, did Peter know Jesus? Judging by the fact that Jesus then called Peter Satan, it seems to me that Peter's knowledge of Jesus in that moment was lacking. It was limited. Or even later at the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, not to pick only on Peter, but he provides us, uh, uh, you know, with a mirror to ourselves. So we, we look to Peter because we, we can relate to some of the mistakes that he makes. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, uh, Moses and Elijah, they show up. God the Father speaks from the cloud saying, this is my son, hear him. And, and then Peter says, why don't we just live here forever? Essentially, that's a paraphrase. But he says, I'll just build tents, I'll make a shelter, and we'll stay here. And, and it's great because the gospel, it says, he said this because he did not know what to say. A little bit of application. There's a freebie. This is not the point of this sermon. But if you don't know what to say, just don't say anything. It's better that way. But when Peter said, let's just stay here, what that real uh, revealed to us is that Peter didn't know Jesus fully. He didn't know Jesus completely. Because Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah about the death that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter didn't want to talk about that. And unless you realize what Jesus came to do, you won't realize who Jesus is. And even at this point in time, when Jesus is telling them that he is going to leave, the disciples are still shying away from that reality, unwilling or unable to accept the truth of the crucifixion. So when Jesus says, but from now on, 
you know him and have seen him. Again, I'm suggesting that the now he's talking about is not the now on in, in that moment in the upper room, but now as in what's happening now this weekend with Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. It says, from now on you will know the Father, and you have seen him. Now they had seen God, they'd seen the hand of God through Jesus Christ. But they will, would know, again, the power and the love of God in the cross and the resurrection. Once you see the cross and know what you're seeing, then you know God. Now this is a simple Christian truth. To know God, you must look to Jesus and you must look to him on the cross. You have to look you, you look at Jesus washing feet, you look at him feeding the 5,000, calming the storms, preaching sermons, touching lepers, raising the dead, and you see God, you do. Jesus says, you have seen him. You've seen God. You've seen God because you've seen me. But, at, but from now on, in the future, once you see the cross and you see the purposes of God to save mankind, then you'll know God. You'll know the Father. To know God, you must look at Jesus, and you have to look at him both in his, his life, but especially in his death. This is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in the gospel, we see God. Now, the disciples had seen Jesus. They had seen God, but without the understanding, without the knowledge of God, of what he's up to, and just how far and how much he loved them. Now in John 17, the passage I read to you there, Jesus prays for unity, and he prays for unity uh, within the disciples and unity of the disciples with God. Um, and he says that they may know how, how I've loved you and how you've loved them. And that that's the knowledge that we get when we see the cross. We see the extent, the great extent, the extreme uh, the extremity of the love of God. Now, in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Now, it, um, it seems like Philip wants an actual vision. You know, he he wants the bright shining lights, or the dream, uh, the heavens, you know, the clouds parted, the clouds be rolled back like a scroll. Um, he wanted, uh, you know, the bright shiny lights. And, and, and that's not too different. If that is what he's asking for, then it's not too different from the seeking after a sign that Jesus says. You know, it's an evil, a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. Um, but the, the fact is, Philip thinks he, he doesn't know God yet. And he, he, he had, in fact, seen the character of the Father shown to him with perfect accuracy in Jesus. So Philip is, is asking a question, and it seems pretty sensible. He says, I just want to see God. That'll be enough. That would be enough if I've seen God. Now, but what's in, implied with this statement is he says, so far, it's not enough. What I've seen and what I know isn't enough. And Jesus seems to push back on that sentiment. He, he rebukes Philip softly, gently, I think. But he says, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, 
show us the Father. Now imagine the tone of voice there. Imagine the, the sigh from Jesus when he says, have I been with you so long? Like, I, we're right here. I can see you. I can reach out and touch you. And you're saying that you haven't seen God. Now, this is a mystery. We can't be too hard on Philip, I think. But he's making a mistake. And, and the mistake he's making is in thinking that Jesus is only the way, but not also the truth and life itself. He thinks that Jesus can maybe get him to the Father, which Jesus will do. He has promised to do. But in that, he sees that Christ is really only the means to an end, and not the end in and of himself. You know, there's there's a book that I, uh, I rarely quote from, but I, I quote the title fairly frequently. It's a Watchman Nee uh, book, and it's entitled Christ, the Sum of All Spiritual Things. And the title really does give away the point of the book, but it's a good point to make. Now, Philip thought that there was, there was a level up somewhere. There was Jesus, and then there was the next step. There isn't. Jesus is God of very God. And to know Jesus is to know the character and the heart and the love and the power of God the Father. You know, Philip says, show us, show us. And Jesus, it's, it's like Jesus answers, what do you think I've been doing this whole time? Now, please be aware, you can make this same mistake. You can make the same mistake that Philip makes where you pray Jesus, if you could just bless me with that thing, whether it's that gifting or calling or just that thing that you've always wanted, and you say, could you just bless me? Well, Jesus, the I am, is saying, I am the blessing. I am the blessing. And Ephesians 1, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And and I could just imagine, I think Jesus has said this to me. You know, I didn't hear him. I'm not saying I had an experience like this, but I, could, I can imagine Jesus looking down at some of the prayers that I have prayed where I'm asking for things, expecting them to be given to me apart from, uh, apart from dwelling with Christ, apart from Christ himself and abiding in him. And it's like he says, have I been with you so long? Like you think you're going to get that blessing apart from just deep intimacy with me? You're not. You're asking for a blessing. I am the blessing. You know, we ask, I'm sure you may have asked, God, if you could just, if you could just lead me to the place or to the person that, that would complete me, would make me happy or whatever. And Jesus says, I am the way. I'm not just the leader. I am the way. And, you know, we, we say, I don't know what to do, God. Can you teach me the truth? And Jesus is saying, what do you think I've been doing this whole time? I am the truth. Dwell with me. Lean on me. And in chapter 15, he's going to say, Abide in me, and I in you. I'm the vine, you're the branches. This is the only way you get any of the fruit. And we ask, we'll deal with this in chapter 15 when we get there, but we ask for fruit. You know, we do. We say, like, God, I want this blessing. I want this thing, and I want this success, and I want to avoid this pain, or I want this wisdom, or I want to... 
uh, whatever you want. You know, we, we ask for things, which is good. Philippians says to let your requests be made known to God. That's fantastic. Pray. But, but Jesus tells you how to get the fruit. He, he's been saying the whole time how to get the fruit. Abide in me. I'm the root. <laughs> You're the branch. If you want the blessings, just stay connected to the root. And, and Philip is saying, I would like an, a spiritual experience, Jesus. I want a vision of God. I want the lights and the shining angels and the singing and everything. It's going to be awesome. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long? What, what part did you miss? What sermon were you sleeping through, Philip? He says, show us. Jesus says, I have been. We say, would you give me this? Jesus says, stay with me. All the good stuff is with me. Well, I want, to, I want spiritual knowledge. I want spiritual truth. I want spiritual power. And Jesus is saying over and over, it's with me. Then come to me. Come be with me. Look to me. Listen to me. Whenever we see Jesus as an avenue towards something other than Jesus, we make, um, we're making a mistake. We're making the mistake of Philip. Whenever we see Jesus as an avenue towards something else, it, we, you have to realize that you're thinking that something is more important than Jesus himself. Look to him. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Now, Philip's desire, I think, is good. Show us the Father. That's great. I mean, you think of, you know, Moses praying, show me your glory. We want to pray this kind of thing. We do. Philip's desire is good, but he's misdirected. And he underestimated Jesus. When you pray, Lord, show us the Father, you pray with the knowledge that the Father has been revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts, that we know the Father because we have been, because unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and we look to him and see God. Jesus continues, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus had said the, the thing about um, works before to the Pharisees, to the crowds. You know, believe the works. If you're not going to listen to what I say, look at what I've done and see if you can come up with another explanation. Um, this is going to gain significance soon when the work is the cross and the resurrection. He says, believe according to that then. Believe that, that I was raised from the dead. Believe that. Now remember the passage from chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus prays for unity and talks about uh, him being in us and, and us in him. Now, this level of unity that Christ is describing with himself and his Father is a unity that he also invites you to and is even praying for you to this end. This is a unity for you. That should be humbling. That's kind of baffling. It's awe-inspiring that, that this truth, which is expressed in Colossians 1, it can be yours. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you the hope of glory. We are in Christ and he is in me. Now, I'm going to repeat, you're not God, you're not Jesus, you aren't, uh, you know, the, the fourth minute, uh, member of the quadrinity or something crazy like that. You're, you're not in the Godhead, okay? But you can be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Paul prays that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You're not the same as Jesus, but the unity that Jesus is describing that he has with the Father is the unity that he is praying for you. Just as Jesus could tell Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, then if Christ is in you, then you can say, if they've seen me, do you even want to finish that sentence? You can't, right? Because you know, like, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. But you've heard people say, you're the only Bible some people read. And that's not just a, you know, a, a chintzy little saying that you can throw around. Paul says to the church, says, you're my letters. Now we have the letters of Paul and they're inspired scripture. But he writes to the Christians, the people that he ministered to, and he says, your letters and you're known and read by all men. You are known and read by all men. What do people see when they read you or know you? Well, if you are united with Christ, if Christ is in you, the hope of glory, if Jesus' prayers in John 17 are answered, and I think Jesus gets his prayers answered, then if people have seen you, they have seen something of God. This is humbling. Again, it's, it's baffling. This should make you both draw back and say, I'm an unclean man of unclean lips. This is, these are holy things, and I should probably take off my shoes on this holy ground. But this should also make you desire this unity with God even more. This is how God is showing himself to the world. This is what God has determined. How he will reveal himself to humanity. He would do so by spirit-filled people. We follow Jesus here. Jesus, God revealed himself through his son, and now he has a lot of adopted sons, and he's still revealing himself to the world through them. The Father sent the Son, and now the Son sends you. You will show the world God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Now, now again, he says, he doesn't, in verse, uh, what was it, 10, he says, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So he says, the works are from God, and then he says, believe on the sake of the works. So the works that I do are from God, and those works will bring people to God. And then he tells them, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Now what are the works for? They're for faith. You do the works, and then people, he says, believe for, this, on the, sake, for the sake of the works themselves. In verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may glorify be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, when he says, most assuredly there, in verse 12, and this is, uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, it's amen, amen, but the word assuredly is kind of nice because you, he says most assuredly in order to give assurance. Remember verse 1 of chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. These people need the assurance. They're wondering if Jesus is gone, are they fired? Well, what is it for them? He says, no, if you believe in me, if you continue to look to me, then you'll do the works that bring faith. You'll do the works that you don't do on your own authority, but it's God working in you. You'll do those works and greater works than you've seen me do. The assurance he's giving is union with God. You know, you look down at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, that's, that's beautiful. This will be explained in the, in the following verses about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to do this work in you. 
He's going to be the helper. I'm not going to leave you orphans. And he, he talks in 14 and then chapter 16 about the Holy Spirit. And really, you know, you, you need to come back next week and find out because the Holy Spirit, he's the only reason any of this works. Uh, he's the only reason why any of this works. Christ's going will lead to his sending of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is how we get the I in him and he in me. Now he says these greater works, you're going to do greater works. The greater works he's talking about, he's not talking about greater in quality. Um, Christ forgives sins and raises the dead. And, I mean, if we read the whole Bible, we realize Jesus created the entire known and unknown universe. So you're not going to do greater works than those. Um, you're not going to die for the sins of the world. That's the greater works. But it's, it's talking about actually about um, quantity rather than quality. Jesus uh, had a very short ministry. Uh, had 12 disciples, and one of those didn't even work out very well. Never wrote a book. Um, you know, Peter's first sermon saw more converts than Jesus did in his whole ministry. Okay? The, the apostles would heal more people than Jesus. The church would feed more people than Jesus. And more nations would be reached under these men's ministries. Thomas would go all the way to India. You know, the ends of the earth would be reached because of the ministry of these men and the men that they reached and the men that they reached until this day. And so, he's not talking about quality, uh, it's talking about quantity, really. But, you know, more healings, more sermons, more lives touched. These works um, explain, you know, verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He's talking about the person who would ask from a position of unity with God. Um, now, what are you asking for? This is always a good diagnostic tool, kind of a triage, really. What are you asking for? What are the desires of your hearts? Of your heart? This, this will show you where you are in this unity. And Jesus' prayer of unity, he prayed for the saints, he prayed for the disciples, not only these ones, but the ones that would come to believe later. And he prayed that they would be united with him, even as he was united with the Father. And, and the, one way to see how close you are to that is to see what am I, what do I want? Do I want the things that he wants? When I pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is that hard? Do I really want the will of God? Now, how do we get there? Because we are, even though Christ has saved us completely, sanctified us completely, and, and in a, a crazy spiritual metaphysical way, we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's a done deal. But we also know we're being saved, we're being sanctified, and we're works in progress. So where are you in your progress, and how do you get to the end? How do we get there? Well, I would say, ask. He says, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. And we always go straight for the Mercedes, right? <laughs> we always go straight for the, th the thing, well, well, does it work if I want this? And James explains, you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. That's why this isn't working. That's not how it's supposed to work. So what are you asking for? Here's what I think you should ask for. And I think you should ask for it because... I like to be able to agree with other people in prayer. I like to be able to pray with other people who are better at praying than me. And when we pray together for a thing, I feel confident in, in praying for that thing. Well, here's what you should ask. The same thing that Jesus asks for you in John 17. That unity with God. Pray for that. Pray for that. That's what Jesus is praying for. And then pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
When you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you are praying in Jesus' name. Because you're praying for his will, his works, not of your own authority. And when, when he does these works through you, it's really him that's working. Just the same way that Jesus says, it's really the Father who dwells in me that does the works. But that level of unity and this level of effectiveness is offered to you as a gift from God. So the best thing I can tell you to do is believe Jesus' words in verse 14 that if you ask anything in his name, he'll do it. And then ask for the same things that he's asking for. Unity with the Father. And that his works would be done through you. That you would do works that would lead people to faith. Let's rejoice that Jesus is one with the Father. And let's rejoice that he's invited us there into that unity, into that family. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, um, but not nearly as much as we should. And so we ask in your name that you would increase our love for you. Holy Spirit, pour out more of the love of God into our hearts. God, we pray that you would make us one with you. And we can pray that confidently in faith with every, every shred of hope because we see that you prayed for that, Jesus, and you're going to have your way. You will complete the good work that you've begun. God, in the meantime, let us be patient and diligent in pursuing this unity, in pursuing your heart, and not seeing you, Jesus, as a means to an end, but the end of all ends, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega. God, we look to you. Hold our hearts. Unite our hearts to fear your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.